All right, Huda Thunkers. This is episode 89 of the Huda Thunkered podcast. I'm your host, as always, Zeb. The title of this episode is Xenobots, First Living Robots. And we'll go over what the heck that means. But first, um, there is a recommendation segment. It's brought to you by Shannon. So it's only in the audio version, not on the blog. Shannon recorded this. I haven't heard it yet, so you'll probably hear it before I do. Uh, take it away, honey. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the uh, Who to Thunk It podcast recommendations section. Um, this week, I am doing my recommendation on the television show Shit's Creek. Uh, this show is hilarious. Um, it is a Canadian television sitcom created by Daniel Levy and his father, Eugene Levy. And apparently it was on the CBC television from 2015 to 2020. Um, there's about 80 episodes and it's something that I binge watched on Netflix. Um, the show is hilarious. It's a story of a rich family that loses everything um, except this crappy little town that they bought called Shit's Creek. Um, so the character character depth and the things that they're able to develop throughout the course of the show is wonderful. Um, and by the end, it's really something very heartfelt and, and meaningful. Um, so if you haven't seen Shit's Creek, I highly, highly recommend you check it out. And uh, on to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Okay, thank you for that recommendation, Shannon. Now, for the main event about these Xenobots. This past weekend, I opened up Instagram to see a comedian, fight commentator, and podcaster podcaster giant Joe Rogan had posted a screenshot of a CNN article. The headline read, World's first living robots can now reproduce, scientists say. Uh, right, away, right there in the middle of Sunday brunch, I knew I was going to try and wrap my head around this headline that alleged nothing short of a scientific miracle. I showed it to Shannon, and she was like, what? How? And I was like, I have no idea, but this is my next podcast. I put the uh, screenshot of that Instagram post on the blog post if you want to check it out. And likewise, this episode, it's really helpful to see some, uh, I think it's helpful to see some visual aids to see what's going on. There's, uh, I put GIFs on there, and just to wrap your head around what these things actually are, it might help to actually read the blog. Now, I read a few articles and watched a bunch of videos, and a lot of them seem just be just to be regurgitating information that was said on headlines. I didn't feel like I was getting anywhere, like they weren't breaking down what the component was. I kept looking up what the re I guess they made these robots and that was world, you know, groundbreaking in science. And then just that was back in like January of 2021 and or late 2020. And now the reproduction part of it came later, just in the last month or so, I guess. So then I came across a video by a YouTube channel called ASAP Science. The video is titled This is the first living robot and it and it's unbelievable. Uh, you should check it out because I Reference it heavily for this. They broke down the experiment that led to these living robots to the essential components and started explaining from there. Their method worked, as this was like the first source that got to me, got me to understand um, this project. So I'll try and do the same in my explanation here. First thing you'll notice about these Xenobots, spelled X-E-N-O-B-O-T-S. If you want to look it up, just type that in. The internet will take it from there. Um, is that they are not made of metal or plastic. Nope. They're made of organic material, living cells to be exact, cells from an embryo of an African clawed frog species with a scientific name, Xenopus lavis. That's why they call them Xenobots, because the scientific name of the frog that the cells are taken from is Xenopus lavis. So Xenobots for short, and I think that's actually a pretty cool name. 
Pretty easy. Gets to the point. Got a bot in there, so you know it's a robot. These little suckers are less than one millimeter in size. For you know, an example there, that's smaller than the head of a number two pencil. They're functioning and quite their functioning is quite limited. They can't connect to the internet like your smartphone, and they don't parkour like robots coming out of Boston Dynamics. All they do is move forward, backwards, spin in circles, and write themselves when they're tipped over. Oh, and they can reproduce. Sort of, but we'll get to that later. These Xenobots are living robots, okay? The concept is hard to grasp because they aren't AI or artificial intelligence like computer code that has become sentient that we talk about a lot. No, they represent a completely new form of life. These things are a whole new category that has never existed before. They are programmable lumps of mass that just so happen to also be made of living organisms. And before I get into how they reproduce, I feel it was necessary to unpack that a bit, what I just said, that they're living robots. How, how does that make them a robot? Well, the word robot is defined by Merriam-Webster as a machine that resembles a living creature in being living creature in being capable of moving independently as by walking or rolling on wheels and performing complex actions such as grasping and moving objects. This definition doesn't quite fit our topic for this week, but okay. The week by Wikipedia, it is defined as a robot is a machine, especially one programmable by a computer capable of carrying out complex series of actions automatically. A robot can be guided by an external control device or the control be can maybe embedded within. Surprisingly, Wikipedia has a broader definition that fits our Xenobots a lot better, but not perfectly. No definition of robot actually fit our topic for this week, at least that I thought I was reading them like, how are they calling these things robots when all definition I'm able to find of ro the word robot doesn't really fit what these things are. Okay. One of my first thoughts when I was learning all these was about these buggers is wait, if a robot is what, if that is a robot, then what exactly does the word, word robot mean? Well, Xenobots being in a category all their own sort of stretch the meaning of robot to its limits. It's a new thing in the world. They've never existed before. Like I said, they're in a category all their own, so it makes sense that they're going to call them robots, even though they don't really fit robots, because they should have their own name. When the researchers who made these things called them robots, they were referring to the fact that they are, one, made up of other components, in this case, living cells, instead of metal or plastic or anything. Two, they were placed together in a very particular way with a microscope and not a welding torch. Three, they were programmed by a computer. And four, they were meant to perform a task in the real world, not just a computer program performing a task in a computer computerized world. The material these researchers used was made up of living cells, like I said. Specifically, they were skin cells and heart cells from that African clawed frog. So you have cells from its skin and its heart. There's a reason why they picked those. You see the heart cells contract, like they move automatically because they're like a heart. Um, like they move naturally. I assume it's related to how the heart beats. You know, common sense might say that, but however, I'm not, you know, I'm not a biologist and I don't, I don't, I didn't do so well in anatomy. Uh, but anyway, these heart cells, they, they contract. I'm assuming it has to do with the, how the heart beats. Then the skin cells, they do not contract. So they just sort of are there for structural purposes. So in the pursuit of their goal, putting living cells together to make them act a certain way, they thought, can we put a bunch of heart cells and skin cells together in a carefully constructed clump to make them move? Okay. And a crude example I came up with that I came up with, the skin cells would act as the frame of the car while the heart cells would act as the motor. That's just how my mind comprehended this. You have this heart cells. They're the moving ones. 
But if they just move on their own, they'll just go all over the place. So they have the skin cells to sort of put them in a certain order and way. Like I said, it helps when you have the visual aid here. So here's how they put them in a certain way. In order to come up with a functioning structure that moved the way they wanted it to, the researchers had a supercomputer run evolutionary. Uh, I spelled evolutionary wrong. I'll have to go back and fix that. <laughs> That's the worst spelling I've ever Sorry, it had a supercomputer run evolutionary algorithms to test out a buttload of different structures. Some were shaped like Pac-Man, some were shaped like little Cheerios, and some were just spherical blobs. Uh, the computer ran all those together to find the best one. The evolutionary algorithms acted sort of like natural selection, but in a super sped up way. It tested each structure to see which accomplished the specific goal the best. So the structure that accomplished the goal to simply move sort of looks like a human brain to me. There's a cool image of it on my blog post. Check it out. But there's other ones, though. They had other goals, too. But we'll go with the move one first, since that's like the first one they came up with. Um, for you blog readers, there's a GIF on there. Check that out. It's pretty cool. It actually shows the moving one move across the screen. The post, the computer model and the actual clump of cells. And they also had another one too for transport. Once the supercomputer found the best structures for each goal, the researchers then had to get their hands dirty. Uh, the next step that kind of surprised me is how simple and monotonous it sounds. The researchers took the computer generated structures and had to hand splice these cells together to best resemble the model created by the computer. Okay. So don't worry, I'm going to summarize this in a bit before I continue. So first, the researchers think of a function, move, transport, manipulate, spin in circle. You know, they want they want a different structure for each of these goals, these functions, move, transport, manipulate, spin in circle. There's a couple other ones. Then the supercomputer, known as Deep Green Supercomputer Cluster, um, located in the University of Vermont's Advanced Computing Core, through super fast trial and error type simulated evolution, comes up with the best possible structure to model or model to complete said function. So you have different looking structures for each goal you wanted to do, move, transport. These little clumps of frog heart and skin cells are torn apart and put back together and molded into that model by tiny handheld tweezers and tools wielded by the researchers. A xenobot is composed of about 3,000 cells. So here are these researchers, I'm sure they had some kind of you know, mechanical help here because it's so small. They it'd be so hard to put 3000 cells together hand, no matter how good your tool is. It helps if you had an automated thing, but they had to put rip across, they rip out part, all these cells, they had heart cells, skin cells, and they put them together. Some of them look like a molar. Like that's kind of the size of these blobs. Some look like I said, a Cheerio, but they had to put them together in a roundabout way. These clumps of living cells are being programmed by humans to complete certain tasks. That is, is what makes them robots, or at least that's what they say makes them robots. You have a human, he's at a computer, he says, I want a clump of cells, a living clump of cells to spin in a circle, okay? Puts that in the computer, and there's tons of computer stuff that goes way over my head, not going to try to explain that, computer magic. Computer magic pops out this thing that says, make these cells, I want you to mold them together, sort of like microscopic Play-Doh at about 3,000 cells, to make it look like this thing. And it, let's say it looks like a Pac-Man or whatever. And it says, okay, the researcher then puts them together. It looks like a Pac-Man and it goes around in a circle. Okay, you still with me? That's how these things exist. I know it sounds crazy. How is that a robot? Well, it's programmed. There's cells, they're living, but they're programmed. There's people in, uh, da, da, uh. you still with me? That's a Xenobot. 
Now, how do they reproduce? We're going to get into that. The idea behind the Xenobots is that right now, they may only be programmed to simply spin in a circle, but maybe in the future, a whole army of them can be constructed um, of a person's own cells and deployed inside the body to remove harmful plaque from arteries or other things. Instead of nanobots made of metal that could potentially be seen as a threat by our bodies and therefore be rejected, these xenobots will be made up of our own cells and have a high chance of being able to do their program functions without being attacked by our immune systems or bodies. In the future, they could be constructed using cells from our eyes that detect light to do all sorts of functions. They could be constructed to zoom through our air and consume excess carbon dioxide that is polluting our planet, or even designed to eliminate plastics, microplastics floating in our oceans. There's tons of uses that you can use these things for. Right now, they're in the baby steps of this research, um, but they seem to just be keep messing around and seeing what they can do with them. At this point in my light research, I thought the xenobots were cool. And I can see how one might refer to them as robots. They're programmed and do stuff in the real world. Uh, not to mention, they have some amazing, amazing potential. But they didn't seem that special to me until they started doing stuff on their own, like reproducing. It's called emergent behavior, okay? Emergent behavior. That's a good, fun vocab word for you today. What is emergent behavior? It is uh, the wild card that comes along with dabbling in life, Okay. You mix metals together, maybe something will explode. Someone will get some kind of injury or something. But when you deal, dabble with life, tends that life tends to act, you know, when you mess around with life, things get kind of unpredictable. As Dr. Ian Malcolm said. It's not possible. Listen, if there's one thing the history of evolution has taught us, it's that life will not be contained. Life breaks free. It expands to new territories and it crashes through barriers painfully, maybe even dangerously, but... Uh, Oh, there it is. There it is. You're implying that a group composed entirely of female animals will breed? No, I'm, I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. That probably won't be the only time I'm referencing Jurassic Park for this episode. So let me explain about these emergent behaviors. While a single living cell is quite predictable, multiple cells grouped together tend to display unpredictable behavior. An extreme example of this is you. Yeah, you, you sexy son of a bitch, listening or reading to this. Your cells aren't too remarkable on their own. They don't move too much. They don't compose music or even think for themselves. But as a collective, they make up you. Like I said, you sexy son of a bitch. They make up you a fully functioning human being that can go to work, that can, you know, gripe about its day, do you pet your dog, whatever, or at least, you know, semi-functioning. If maybe not, maybe we're not all fully functioned human beings, but semi-functioning, you're breathing, you're listening to this or reading this, all right? I get sidetracked. But when we humans make a robot to work on an assembly line, welding part, welding parts onto a Ford Focus um, as it gets ready to be sold in the market, we aren't worried the arm is going to start a conga line on the factory floor with all its robot arm buddies. No, that would be ridiculous and impossible unless, of course, a human programmed it to do so. That type of robot is made up of inorganic and non-living material. The robotics community sometimes call them dumb parts. A robot made of dumb parts isn't going to evolve on its own, at least not the way we understand reality as it is now. It may have a part break down and the robot may malfunction, but it isn't going to go on strike and start murdering its human co-workers in a fit of conscious rage. However, the xenobots do just that, sort of. I mean, they don't go on 
you know, they aren't complex enough to become conscious. These tiny microscopic cells aren't going to form a conga line or start murdering people, but they are alive. They do evolve in a way like all living things. And that is why researchers have observed them doing things that are pro that they were not programmed to do. Okay. It's that wild card of living, that emergent behavior that I was talking about. The researchers started to notice their little xenobots were moving in ways that weren't programmed and teaming up in swarm-like behavior. Yeah. <laughs> when your Frankenstein monster, even if it is microscopic, starts sort of, you know, defying you, don't you think that's a little creepy? That's that's kind of why this has started making headlines. Um, it should have made headlines before the reproducing thing just because of that, because we're making robots that can do whatever the hell they want. I mean, it could be some weird cellular malfunction we don't really understand, but it's it's freaky. The most notable emergent behavior was that some xenobots started to gather up cells, clump them together to resemble themselves, like making offspring almost. They didn't birth their next generation. No, they constructed it. The team at UVM, uh, the University of Vermont, that first created the Xenobox bots back in 2020, teamed up with a team at Tufts, University of Medford, Massachusetts. Together, they realized they could cut a wedge out of the Xenobots to make them sort of look like a little microscopic Pac-Man, you know, um, like I said before, and that made them corral cells a lot better. This allowed the Xenobots to corral a lot more cells and pellets than before while using less energy. Before, Xenobots only lived for about a week or at most 10 days. But this little Pac-Man move by the researchers allowed the Xenobots to live much longer as they weren't using as much energy to complete their corral function. Up until now, Xenobots were placed in this, in this aquatic environment and only given non-living pellets to push and corral and transport and do whatever with, just as you know, an experiment. But someone on the research team uh, thought, let's put Xeno cells in the environment and set up pellets and see what happens. That a-hole. The result was the xenobots started clumping the, the xeno cells together, and they started to form structures that resembled the xenobots that created them. Like I said, like offspring. I have a cool little diagram I put on the blog where you see this xenobot. Like I said, to me, they always they all look like sort of like uh, like molars, like weird tooth molars. You have a xenobot, and it's pushing these cells around. And you can see the xenobot has a little bit of discoloration because it's been it's its own thing. It's together. It's its own organism. And the cells that are kind of, a, you know, different color from them because they're just sort of on their own. But the xenobot is corralling them, pushing them in a circle and sort of forming its new offspring, a new generation. The researchers watched with glee as their living robots created a generation of xenobots that after a brief incubation period functioned just like the original generation. But don't lose your mind over... Uh, a new species created by man that can replicate and terrorize the earth because that isn't what this is. These things can't exist without outside assistance. We humans, tons of money and research and, and careful planning made this happen. So it isn't like a Petri dish somewhere could be spilt into a drain and a new life form would start populating the globe. At least that's insanely unlikely to happen um, because these things, they only live for a couple amount of time, you know, and whatever. But then there's the, the ethical dilemma. Right now, science is still in the mess around baby phase of this new type of robotic life form. These things are only 3,000 cells a piece, and they only live for like two weeks. But when we start talking about the future implications of, the, of this tech, it gets a bit morally foggy. What happens when we humans design a robot or a xenobot to clean our oceans of microplastics, but we find 
that if we design it to feel pain, it will do its job better, a lot more efficiently. Do we design it for pain? Or do we realize how ethically messed up that would be to design a life form that can feel pain? Like what, what happens then? Do these things have rights? Are they given the same right? Like, would we then say, you know, would we put out like different hunting? Like, can you hunt xenobots? Just try to run with it. Instead of microscopic xenobots, let's say we, we start clumping cells together because the computer told us this structure's best and we come out with something the size of your cat. But it's just this blob and its job is to, it's like a new hover round. It just cleans off the crap off your floor inside your house. But it's alive. What happens? Are we allowed to kick the thing? Would that be seen as cruel? Does it even, like, it's, it's, it, it, science is going ahead at this without letting philosophers or people think about what the heck this means. And I get it. We're still in the baby phase. Nobody's picketing the Xenobot or the, you know, the Xenobot research team yet, yet, but it is alive. They're making things, creating them and letting them die. I understand the excitement and sense of accomplishment that must come along with this sort of discovery. These researchers must be elated to know that their creation has the the dictionaries rewriting all sorts of definitions like the word robot now. But at what cost is all of this? What, what's going to happen out of it? They did they have they opened Pandora's box? I'll end I'll end this episode with yet another Jurassic Park quote from Dr. Ian Malcolm that you've almost certainly heard before. And as I do end it with that, thanks for listening. Tune in next week through to Thunkers. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Mm -hmm.